It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to 1865, the Nottingham Forest podcast. And as you can tell from that jaunty little bit of music there, we're in a very happy mood as Nottingham Forest are celebrating a 3-1 Boxing Day victory away at Newcastle United. And in a minute, we'll speak to George, who is back from uh, a long journey the day after Christmas. But first of all, let's just cover what happened in the match. Um, If you weren't aware, if you weren't watching, if you weren't listening, then Newcastle took the lead after 23 minutes with an Alexander Isak penalty. But Forrest got a crucial equaliser just on the stroke of half-time when Chris Wood converted after Anthony Alanga's um, cross. And then in the second half, Wood made good with two beautifully taken goals, giving Forrest a 3-1 victory. And, George, obviously, um, it's a great day out for you, even if you did have to set the alarm pretty early in the morning. Yes, it was, yeah, quarter past six for me, and I'm sure many people are listening thinking I left a lot earlier than that. So, yeah, we got lucky um, that I wasn't that early, and my phone ran out of charge towards the end, well, for the whole journey back, my portable charger didn't turn on, but it all didn't matter because Forrest got this win away that we've been crying for for ages, since September, since that Chelsea game. And finally, it came on Boxing Day, a perfect Christmas present. And the manner of the victory, I think, is what sticks out for us. The two victories we've had since coming back to the Premier League have been quite different, but very different to what we showed yesterday. The Southampton one was a sort of very even game, um, which we we edged, but they could have, I suppose, won with the chances that they missed. Uh, and then Chelsea one was all about defensive resilience, getting the goal when we, when we did, and then sitting on that and counting on the lead. Whereas yesterday's performance... You know, we came away thoroughly deserving to win. We'd created chances. I mean, as soon as Newcastle scored the penalty from that moment on, we were by far the better team. And 3-1, if anything, flatters Newcastle knows. So, yeah, it was the perfect festive um, present. 
And we left in the dark, we got back in the dark, but what happened in the day was absolutely fabulous. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. And uh, let's just uh, quickly go through the team news because it is worth going through. There were a lot of changes. So Matt Turner kept his place in net, uh, but we had three changes in the back four with Montiel and Ina coming in at right back and left back respectively and Musa Niakate replacing the suspended Willy Bolly. We had three in um, a sort of... A, a 4-2-3-1. So we had uh, Danilo and Sangare sitting uh, in the midfield with Alanga, Hudson-Odoi and Morgan Gibbs-White in the number 10 position. And then Chris Wood up front. So a lot of changes to the team. Now, George, did that? what were you thinking when you heard that lineup? I was very sceptical of the changes because I think Nuno is very well documented that he likes to work with a small squad. And he's going to make these changes to try and find out his, you know, his most favoured lineup. Um, I didn't like the fact that, I mean, obviously Bolly had to be dropped, but changing three of your back four and your two holding midfielders in the Premier League, it, it wasn't, it was never going to be perfect from the off. And that showed him for us to start. Um, players like Montiello have only had two or three starts. Um, Aina, who's been out for the month, for a month, near Cata, the only one really that's played. And then Danilo, who's never really got a string of games this season, and Sangari, who's been frozen out for the past month. So it was always going to take Forrest a while um, to get started and, I think they did um, in the end, but the start, the first sort of 20 minutes, you could tell that this amount of changes had been made because we we didn't look at it. And I don't want to be the negative voice in this amazing win, but it's got to be accepted that in the first 20 minutes, we weren't great. And it's just a positive that Forrest were able to get over that in the end. So, yeah, I think many people were sceptical of the changes, um, but it worked out in the end. It did. And, you know, like you say, when Newcastle took the lead, um, you know, is a reflection of the fact that they had been the better team, but it hadn't really been a vintage match up to that point. No. It's also worth pointing out that um, Forrest had the first effort on goal um, of any note when uh, Morgan Gibbs-White was, he capitalised on a mistake by Lewis Miley on the edge of the home box and Gibbs-White, he just snatched at the shot ever so slightly, didn't he? And it, and it went wide. Now, I was watching on Amazon Prime. You were at the ground. I probably had a better view of everything than you did. So um, did you need oxygen up there? <laughs> well, I was on road W actually, so all those stairs up there and then another pretty much half of that to get to the top. I think it goes up to row Z. So yeah, that was three from the top. Um, and yeah, and I'll tell you what about Newcastle away end, you, you get used to it, but when they walk out of the tunnel, because I, I was in the concourse when they're warming up, they do look like absolute ants. You cannot mm. see a single, like you get used to it once the game starts and then it's not an issue. But yeah, that gives why it was, it was a decent chance. And um, when you look at Forest away games, normally... They don't have a glut of chances and you you sort of hope, you know, the early lead. We often score early goals at home, but we never have a way. So that would have been the perfect start. Um, and obviously it didn't come and we would get chances later on. But, you know, it was it was a very frustrating miss because it did snatch it. It probably had a bit more time and it would have been the perfect start. And little did we know what was to come. Well, yeah, but 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 before we got to that bit that was to come, uh, we do need to talk about the penalty. Now, from watching on the telly at first glance I thought well you can't argue with that that's a penalty um then on the replay I thought well there wasn't as much contact as I thought but what I would also say is Ola Ayn is an experienced defender he knows if you stick your leg out like that then any striker worth their salt is going to go tumbling over in the box yeah. um what could you see from where you were 
Well, starting from, from the move, and I mentioned Forrest didn't start very well, and Danilo looked like a rabbit in the headlights. And I'm not, I've sort of watched maps today, but I can't remember where they started the move from. But it, it came initially from the goalkeeper at the ball, and they made three passes directly, like straight through our midfield, like a knife through butter, if that's the phrase. Yeah, yeah. And there you go. And um, th that just showed what, you know, Forrest would not have been able to do that to Newcastle because they were compact. And that, that should never have been allowed to happen. And obviously they worked it wide into the box. And yeah, like you and like pretty much everybody else in the new end, we all thought, yeah, Stonewall penalty. Aina stuck his leg out. Um, Isak made the most of it. Um, as someone on the bus said, actually, I agree with him, that Isak's dive for the penalty was better than Turner's attempted save. Um, <laughs> so I wouldn't agree. I wouldn't disagree with that. Um, but yeah, in the modern day, you can't stick your leg out. And, and Chris Kavanagh, probably from what I saw, gave the penalty that we saw. And obviously once he's given that, VAR can't get, you know, he can't overrule it unless VAR tell him to. Um, just on Chris Kavanagh, while I've mentioned his name, we slated Rob Jones, rightly so, at the weekend. I thought he had an absolutely fantastic game. We scored, we'll get onto it, we scored two goals because of the advantages that he played. He never once sort of lost the players. He booked when he needed to. I thought he had brilliant control of the game and we're quick to slander them. And like I say, the penalty was dubious, but VAR never gave him the call to have a look at it again. So I thought it was fabulous. Um, but in terms of the penalty, I mean, yeah, I think it probably is a penalty in the modern day, but Naina probably could have done better as well, leaving his leg out. Yeah, I've got I've got no complaints with the penalty being yeah. given. Um, just to sort of uh, build upon what you've said, what I would also add in there is that whichever way the ref gave it, VAR wasn't going yeah. to be able to overturn it, regardless of whether he gave it or not. And and we saw that um, later on because there was. And when, let's let's talk about it now. So there's a moment where Bruno Gimaraes went over in the box, and um, the ref just gave nothing. Uh, the ball went out of play. It gave a goal kick. I think that if that was an away player, in a lot of cases, the referee would give a yellow card for a dive. Um, I think Gimaraes was looking for it, but the ref gave nothing. VAR gave, you know, had no calls to even question whether or not it was a penalty. Um, but of course, VAR can't also say, well, go back and look at the dive because that's not what VAR is for. Um, but yes, on the whole, and, and we will come on to it, there was... There was a lot of good decision making by the referee and the referee felt like he was in control of the match, yeah. which is absolutely odds to Rob Jones um, the other day, isn't it? Yeah, it's just refreshing to see because referees are getting so much slander at the minute and rightly so in a lot of instances. But um, but like you say, I thought he handled it brilliantly. Um, and before the match, I, I remembered his name for some reason for a bad cause. I don't know why. And I said, I said to my grandma, he's not very good. And uh, it turned out to have a blinder. So, yeah, really good um, from Chris Cavan. Yeah, and and, and and also, crucially, one of the things that you want to see is uh, um, it's always frustrating when refs seem to make themselves a star of the show. Yeah, and, uh, and Mike and, Dean. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Celebrity refs and all that. Um, so Kavanagh, just, he just got on with it. Um, so that, that was good to see. So let's go back to, to the actual match itself. So, so Newcastle took a deserved lead. I think it's worth saying that... Um, at that point, Forrest woke up a little bit, didn't they? And, and and they stopped looking like so much of a bunch of strangers. And the players that I was particularly impressed with, I was impressed with Wood all the way through. I think he's had a lot of unfair stick because it's sometimes, sometimes it's not down to what he's doing. It's down to the fact that the team aren't set up to play to his strengths. And today yeah. he was much more involved. And apparently I've not, 
I've not seen or heard confirmation of this, but apparently he made a comment in one of his post-match interviews about how it makes a big difference when you're getting the ball 20 yards from goal rather than 60 mm. yards from goal. Um, and and that's something he was, he was just much more involved, wasn't he? It, it was. And his best before these last two games, his best performance was at home against Luton. And that was where Forrest played to his strengths. We got the ball into the box and he scored two goals. He could have had five. But he has been different the last two games. He's done it himself, more like a one you does. He's one header. I mean, I've never seen him before these last two games win a header from a goal kick. It's launched and turned on the kicks it out of play anyway. But if it yeah. does go towards, then it's normally headed away and the team gets it. So he's shown that side of his game. I think I saw a stat that he made four defensive clearances as well. So he was out. He was, he was absolutely he was our best defender yeah. from set pieces. Yeah, he was By a long um, way. And he was dropping back. It was sort of Hudson-Odoi when we were defending was the highest player and would drop back. So I think he's just showing what we've always wanted to see from him. And um, I've not slandered him as much as many other fans, although some of it has been justified. Um, But the Chris Wood of the last two weeks has has really been refreshing to see. He's shown pace like I've never seen him have before. I mean, who saw this coming? Um, But yeah, (laughs) but the the stem of our success. Go on. Yeah. No, no, I was just going to say, and of course, you know, the first chance that, that... he had to show what he was doing one of the things that was very impressive was his movement and yeah. that kept, that was shown after about just about half an hour when um uh turner made a pass down the right montiel put put it ahead for alanga to get down into the inside right channel and um Alanga made absolutely the wrong decision, as we know that he sometimes does, as young wingers often do, um, where maybe his feet work faster than his brain, because he then tried to sweep it with his left foot to replicate the goal he scored at the weekend. But what that did is it gave Dubravka an easy save, when in fact Wood was stood in acres of space. All Alanga had to do was just roll it with his right foot along the six-yard line, and Wood would have had a tap-in. And Wood made sure that Alanga knew about it. Um, But... That the, the key thing there is that Wood was in acres of space. Alanga had the measure of Dan Byrne at left back all the way. Byrne hadn't, you know, Byrne is no, not a bad defender by any means, but he looked amateurish against Alanga. He couldn't cope. Whether that's down to fitness, confidence, whatever, that's not our problem. But Alanga had him on toast. And then Wood, bearing in mind that Newcastle were playing with their first choice back forward, Botman and Shah at, um, at uh, a centre half. Um, Wood was just leaving them for dust and getting into loads and loads of space just by making a run in one direction and just pulling away in the last moment. Um, and and we saw the benefits of that in first half stoppage time, didn't we? Yes, we did. Uh, j- just on the sort of uh, Dan Byrne exploitation, um, it just came back into the side and I don't think he'd have ever wanted. But it was clear from Nuno, he clearly stuck Alanga on him because often when we play hudson Adoy and Alanga the, the other way around, whereas it was Alanga, the guy with pace uh, to get in behind him and he'd been threatening that all game. There was, I think within the first sort of five minutes, um, there was a ball played and Byrne just slid in there, got there first with those long legs and kicked it out for a, for a throw. But Forrest I actually would have given that as a foul, by the way, but that's, uh, yeah. Did you? Oh, uh, yeah. Okay, I've not seen that. Oh, fair enough then. Um, well, there you go. He had him on toast from literally minute one and Forrest threatened that all afternoon. Gibbs White in the middle is the is why Ilanga was, ex- was exploiting Dan Byrne because we've been crying out for this for so long and C- Cooper could just could not find a way to get Gibbs White into the middle. It was always on the left. And we had we had to find a way to break up that midfield three with Dominguez, Sangare uh, and Mangala. And I think he's came in and thought, yeah, look, we'll do that. Get Gibbs White in his best position. And he pulled the absolute strings. Um, I, I thought I said the same thing as you for the 
for the Alanga miss. You know, he thought about that goal against the weekend because even in, if he was going to shoot, you'd think he'd use his right foot in that position. So he was literally trying to do the exact same thing that he did at the weekend. Um, but it was second time lucky. Um, like you say, I think the referee played another advantage as Gibbs White scampered forward, laid it for the right-hand side for Alanga, who this time I think he was a bit further forward and further wide. So he, he had less of a choice, I suppose. Because, yeah, he had to use his right foot because yeah. he was get, getting down towards the byline. I'd just yeah. like to point out, if you take that move all the way back, it was Forrest who, <laughs> Forrest who were, well, no, but Forrest were under were under, under the cosh yeah. in their own box. And yeah, what happened is that Newcastle were attacking. Um, it was Montiel on the penalty spot, not only blocked the ball, yeah. but then he had the composure to play it forward to Sangare. Sangare played it to Gibbs White. Gibbs White legged it, and there was an advantage played by Kavanagh because Gibbs White could have gone down when I think it was Gimaraes tried to bring him down. Yeah. Gibbs White broke forward, left the midfielder for dust. Played the ball through to Alanga, Alanga down to the byline, and Wood had the freedom of the six-yard area, didn't he? Yes, he did, and he tapped it home uh, and ran away. Um, but that showed Newcastle all day was slow on the transition. When they lost the ball, if Forrest were quick, they, were, they could have had them. And we don't think we did it enough. Um, but that's one of the times where we did it perfectly. And like you say, I think Murillo got lucky. He, he sort of was too casual in the clearance and then they pounced it off him. Montiel with a good interception and, and a brilliant sweep and move forward. And Wood's goal, like you say about the movement, it reminded me of, can you remember a one-use goal against Arsenal the first game of the season? Mm-hmm. He sort of, he hanged the defender, hung behind the defender. And then as I think it was Byrne and Shad, both went to Ilanga to try and stop the ball across. They left him in the six-yard box and yeah, perfectly timed ball across, Wood tapping it home. I mean, I'm glad that he scored an eventual hat-trick against his old side. But, I mean, when he scores, he loves celebrating. He always runs away with his arms stretched out. And I always felt like he he couldn't. And I was I did feel sorry for him because it, I'm sure he'd have loved to be running away, screaming at the away end. And obviously, he felt the respect for Newcastle um, not to do that. Um, but, yeah, it was it was a really well-deserved goal because I think Forrest going behind at half-time would have been disheartened that they'd not got a goal because... After the goal, they were all over. After Newcastle's goal, they were all over them and deserved it on the counter attack. And you just thought, is it is it not going to come, or are Newcastle going to get another before half time? Because mm-hmm. two two at half time, it's a different game. But you go in at half time, you won the up. We had a chance just before half time, actually, with Hudson Adoy cutting in from the left to go up further in front, and that set us up perfectly for the second half. Yeah, and and it's worth pointing out that you know neither keeper. In a game of four goals, neither keeper was massively overworked. But there was a moment where um, there was a header which came in, which Turner kind of should have gathered. And then he had to kind of smother, because he didn't gather it, he had to smother the rebound from Gimaraes. Um, Yeah, in stoppage time was a bit mental because, like you say, there's that run and shot from Hudson-Odoi. If Hudson-Odoi had got his head up a second earlier, he could have played it along the line where Alanga was in danger of breaking through. But, you know... Nonetheless, so it's so important to have got that goal before the first half was over. And Nuno Espirito Santo, uh, you know, paid tribute to the importance of that in his post-match interview. So it was one all at half time. And then straight away in the second half, within 10 seconds, Forrest could have took the lead, couldn't they? And they could have, yeah. It was kickoff played, and I like how Forest now actually kick off and play, as opposed to before when you 
a lot of teams like to do. They hoof it back to the centre-back and then launch it up the line. Newcastle did that with Dan Byrne even. But Forrest got it down and played and used that confidence straight away. Langer darting down the wing. And where often he'd got in behind them, this time he sort of hung wide, didn't he? And then whipped it into the near post. Yeah. And there was brilliant movement from Gibbs White and Wood. Wood, if Gibbs White, Gibbs White obviously got to the ball first, but Wood behind him was in space as well. So the pair of them did brilliantly to um, to get into space and to get to the ball first, as Gibbs White did. Got a little glancing header towards the back post. It just just crashed wide um, of the near post, uh, of the far post, sorry. And then Forrest had another chance with Elanga a few minutes later that he just chipped into the goalkeeper. And, you know, it was a brilliant start to the second half, just as you hoped. You hoped that this momentum would carry through to the second half and that, you know, with Forrest kicking off, they had the perfect chance to do that. Um, so, yeah, the perfect start to the second half. And obviously Forrest didn't take those two chances in football so often. You have that and then the other team go and score. So Forrest were just hoping that wouldn't happen. But their good start carried on, didn't it? Well, yeah, and I was going to say, and, and you know, you've alluded to this um, elsewhere about how um, sometimes, especially in away matches, it's those chances missed that you kind of sometimes end up regretting. But um, it was uh, another another break where, again, on the transition, you mentioned that in the first twenty minutes, Newcastle were like a, a knife through butter in in Forest midfield, but Forest could do that on the break to them, and this one came straight through the middle of the park. Alanga breaking from his own half and um and playing playing the ball, getting taken down in the process, but again the ref played the advantage. Now, I would point out that Chris Wood is like you mentioned earlier, he's not known for his pace or his trickery. He was there with six Newcastle defenders around him and the goalkeeper, and he made them all look pretty stupid. Just yeah. talk to me about how you saw that from your vantage point up on row W. <laughs> Well, yeah, I saw Forrest win the ball back, stride forward, and then Ilanga get took down, and everyone was shouting for a foul because, I mean, it was played, he somehow hoisted it to the left wing, and like you say, it didn't look like much of a chance, really. I think most people in that position would have taken the free kick, and if the referee had blown up for the free kick, I don't think there'd have been many complaints, but Chris Wood just stepped up. He showed brilliant pace to get there first. I mean, I think it was Fabian Scher, I mean, he's not the quickest anyway, but... Wood got there miles before him. Uh, and then I don't think many of the Newcastle players would really believe that, you know, Chris Wood would get past them. They all sort of ganged and sort of thought, oh, yeah, he'll be all right. And, and then just, just, get... to co- just to correct you there, George, it was actually Dan Burns. So Dan Burns, oh, terrible right. afternoon. Um, so he was <laughs> he was the last defender. And bearing in mind yeah. that Dan Byrne is, you know, he is tall. He's he's really, really good at sticking out uh, in an, inspe- an Inspector Gadget telescopic leg. Yeah. But what Wood did is that he... He was down the inside left channel, so you didn't expect him to have anything, any opportunity there. Yeah. But he managed to basically, he he kind of dropped the shoulder, and it meant that Byrne was on his wrong foot. He was on yeah. his right foot when he's a very predominantly left-footed player, which meant that all of a sudden Wood had the extra um, yard, and then he was able to dink it over Dubravka, who was on rushing to try and prevent it. That was real. It was a real striker's goal, I thought. Yeah, I think like the Messi's now got pictures of Chris Wood on his wall after that, you know, replicating <laughs> him. Um, but yeah, on his left foot as well. And the composure that he had to, I mean, under pressure, he did it against Bournemouth. He got into a similar position and then just lashed it straight to the keeper. And that was early on in the game. It had been a, a good time to score. But this time, you know, probably confidence from the goal that he scored in the first half, takes his time, gets dunks them all on the floor and then lifts it with his with his left foot perfectly over Dubravka into the far post and yeah, it's a finish. You'd a think he's left-footed, and b think he'd score. It was Haaland scoring twenty goals of the season, um, and I think the confidence that he's got at the minute is clear to see. 
I, I keep looking back to the Bournemouth game because these are the two best performances that he had. But there was a time in that game where he got it on the left wing, did a few stepovers and won it as a corner. And we're thinking, well, Chris Wood can do stepovers. Where's this came from? So <laughs> that, that, that confidence that is brimming through him is just fabulous. And it's everything that you want in a striker. And he's showing what we've missed since the one he's been injured in the last two games. And here's just hope that it can continue. I think that's with the goal he scored seven goals now. Um, for the season and yeah it just looks like a completely different play whether it's the new manager and the wingers that we've got now I don't know what it is but it's a it's a really good change yeah uh, and um and it wasn't long before before Forrest kind of gained another and again uh, the third goal by Wood the third goal is a real striker's goal and um, what I would also say is that this one um Murillo, as ever, with a young player, a young defender, he has his moments. So you alluded to a, a slightly hairy moment in the first half. But this one, he had space. He was inside his own half and he just looked and he just played what was a relatively simple ball um, through the channels. Wood had curved his run and Newcastle were playing a high line. And I don't know if they just hadn't learned from earlier. Um, maybe they were just, yeah, maybe they were just assuming that well, I know he scored earlier, but but Wood's slow, so it's not going to happen. But Wood basically had the freedom of St James's, didn't he? And 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 Dubravka committed early because Wood made him commit, and yeah. and so is. And I, I don't know what it's like in the away end, but on our sofa, myself <laughs> and Mrs F, we didn't even celebrate because I I believe the uh, you could have heard a pin drop before my wife just then just then said, "What's happening." <laughs> that was what it was like. Like we haven't just gone three-one up at Newcastle, have we? In the away match on Boxing Day, when we're more in danger of getting sucked into the relegation zone than anything else. So, what was it like in the away end at that moment? Yes, it, it was incredible. I mean, everyone erupted. I was a bit more conserved because I thought it was offside, and obviously, from uh, basically in Sunderland in the away end, you can't really see <laughs> if, about the, about the line. But in the end, it was the fullbacks playing him on side. So I sort of waited while the chaos began and then the lad didn't put his flag up and then I turned to granddad and we were both sort of like is this happening and then we we erupted I was hugging everyone and things like that it was it was one of the best moments that I've had in an away end ever going back mm. to the championship playoff days I mean I've only been going to away games for six or seven years but yeah it was fantastic it was just the best moment ever for for Chris Wood to get a hat-trick against his old side to all three of them with his left foot, to round the keeper like he did where many players would go into him or, you know, bottle it and try and dink him or something. You know, it was just a fabulous moment and a moment that this Forest crowd, I think, deserve, you know, with the the backing that they showed of Cooper and things like that, which obviously ended, but they'd had all that support and had no gains from it. And I think that was the sort of release of emotion that was in the away end. Obviously, there was probably not as many people from those games as as there was before because the tickets were on sale for about two weeks. But yeah, everyone had made this trip on Boxing Day with little hopes, thinking we'll get a point. And now Forrest with an hour with half an hour to play, a three one up at St James's Park against Newcastle, who in their last seven home Premier League games have conceded one goal and won all seven. We've scored three. I mean, yeah, it was there was a lot of disbelief in there as well as absolute bedlam and jubilation. And and crucially as well, one of the things that's worth pointing out is that for, for both Forest and Newcastle, in so many of the matches that they've where they've got winners, it's very rare for either of them to win a match where they haven't scored first. So yeah. when Newcastle score first at home, you're kind of fearing the worst. But I would also say that um, you know, and and again, you've made this point elsewhere. Um, you you write for the famous club as well, and and in your match report there, you've. 
you've made the point that sometimes a two goal lead can even even when you are two goals to the good with half an hour to go, it can still be a bit hairy, especially away from home. Never felt like it, did it? No, especially for Forest, two goals away from home. I mean, it, my mind flashed back to Man United. I mean, that was four minutes and we were turning up. This was 60 minutes, so a bit less time. But Forest so often lose leads and things like that. And those hours were, those minutes, sorry, were ticking by like hours. I mean, it was chaos um, in my mind. But I never I never felt like we conceded. The only times that I did, you know, I thought, are we going to make a mistake here like we often do and not block a cross or, you know, it go off someone's back backside or something like, like when we left Isak free we'll probably come on to that when we left Isak free at the back post and we eventually blocked that that sort of thing where you, you're not looking and but in terms of actually Newcastle threatening Forest they did not look threatened I mean our defence was fantastic and that that's the Cooper side of it Nuno has came in and allowed us in two games to look a lot more threatening on the break but that Cooper sort of ethics of being defensively sound of putting bodies behind the ball and having a reasonably deep line Work to a team because the Forest players have been drilled into that for the past two years or however long some of them have been here. We brought on Worrell late on. He slotted in. We changed to a back five like it was clockwork. So everyone had a really good game. I mean, even the Penguin that I call him, Matt Turner, because he flaps. Um, even he had a, a fantastic second half and made a good save from Isak, like I say there. So, yeah, everyone stepped up to the plate and fought for those you know, after 60 minutes of dominating Newcastle with that pace and counter-attacking, it was then half an hour of defensive grit and making sure that Newcastle did not have a sniff. And, I mean, I'll, I'll come back to, to to a couple of things a little bit later on, but, um, yeah, let's just say that there, there wasn't really much threat from either team in the last half hour. Um, Forrest were trying to manage the game out, and game management has been an issue in many, many um, matches under Cooper in the Premier League. So we will come back to some of that a little bit later on. Um, just you mentioned as well about Worrell coming on. That's something which we'll go back to. And there's going to be one or two other things that we can talk about in part two of this match report. Um, however, what I will say is that uh, the match ended 3-1 to Forrest. Chris Wood, man of the match, fine performances from two or three other players. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. The 1865 match report. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Tis the season for festive football. And what's the best way to watch it? Well, it's down at your local Green King Sports Pub, of course. After all, Christmas is a time to catch up with your friends, old and new, and to get to your local for a pint, some food and live action of every Christmas cracker when it comes to Premier League football. Each fixture from TNT, Sky and Amazon is live at Green King Sport, which means wall-to-wall action on the huge HD screens. So head to your local Green King and watch every winning goal, top bins volley and yes, dodgy VAR decisions in an atmosphere worth sharing. Download the Green King Sport app and you'll receive 10% off drinks every single time there's sport on the telly. And you'll be supporting us here at 1865, the Nottingham Forest podcast. Now it's back to your match report. 
Welcome back to the 1865 Match Report. Uh, we're recording the day after Nottingham Forest went away to Newcastle United and won 3-1. And it's time for a view from the home end. And this is from Jack Stanley of the Toon Under podcast. So just for a bit of context for this game from a Newcastle perspective, um, this was Newcastle's 10th game in the last 30, 31 days. So it's kind of come at the end of a, a huge run of, of a lot of football with We've had bad injuries. We've probably played the same 13 or 14 players um, in, in that period. So there's a lot of fatigue, a lot of um, tiredness going around the, the team. But it doesn't you know, excuse the performance or make Forrest's achievement in winning this game any less. Um, we'd won eight of our previous nine Premier League home games this season. We had only lost one. So this is just shows you what a big uh, result it was for Forrest. I think when we took the lead, uh, it looked positive. Um, I think it was definitely a penalty. Um, usually when we get ahead in home games, we just we keep going and we continue attacking and we get the result. Um, the, the period of injury time, though, at the end of the first half was very important. Um, Almiron obviously missed the chance for us uh, or missed the chance to pass or put it in himself. Straight counter-attack straight down the other end um, and Chris Wood scores. Um, but then even from there, Isak had a header and it was another counter-attack for Forrest. So I think that period was really important, a, a really good time for Forrest to score a goal. Um, and we already had the, the warning sign with the, the earlier Alanga chance that Forrest were going to counter and they were going to play that transition-based football, which worked well. That's, that's what you do against Newcastle at home. I think it was very smart from Nuno, smart from Forrest to do that, make the game transitional based. Um, but even within you know seconds of the restart, Forrest had a header chance. So Alanga's pace was causing Dan Byrne problems all day. Uh, he was probably in the team Byrne for his height um, up against Chris Wood. Um, but I think a lot of Newcastle fans have been saying that Tino Livramento would have been better in this game just with his pace. Um, and he, he, he's a bit hard done done two to have been dropped for Dan Byrne since Byrne came back from injury um, third goal was terrible defensively a good pass through um, Chris Wood took it away a good start for you Chris Wood only scored one goal at St James's Park for Newcastle um, so he, he got a few away goals but he certainly never showed composure like that Thank you very much, Jack, and apologies for the uh, slight problems with the sound George, I mean, Jack has made the very the very sensible point that uh, Newcastle had Tino Livramento, who's been playing at left back on the bench, and he's far quicker. A player who I really, really rate, actually, and he's been playing at left back for Newcastle recently. Seems like a bit of a selection boo-boo. Um, but to a certain extent, that's not our problem. What I would like to talk about is go back to something to do with Alanga. There was a very odd moment um, in the second half where Ola Aina made a rare foray up for, um, forward from left back. He got down to the byline, crossed it in with the outside of his right foot and Miguel Almiron uh, was the last man back. He tried to clear it, ended up hitting it towards his own goal and Alanga eventually ended up clearing it off the line. <laughs> on Newcastle's behalf before Danilo's follow-up shot was blocked. And then the ref blew the whistle because something had been given. Presumably, they'd been assuming that Ina had taken it out of play at the byline, but actually, replay showed it wasn't. So if that had gone in, then VAR would have given an own goal for Almiron, except for the fact that there's a bit of a role reversal there. Almiron was kicking it in at the wrong end and Alanga was clearing it off the line. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, two players that often make the wrong decision in front of goal doing the exact same <laughs> thing, isn't it? Um, I mean, Almiron is one of the most... Uh, uh, he's a decent player, but he's one of the most one-footed players I've ever seen. He does, like... I've never, I don't think I've ever seen him touch the ball with, with his right foot. And that's obviously... I don't watch Newcastle week in, week out, and things like that. So I may be wrong there if there's Newcastle fans. Don't hate me for that. I've, see, I've seen comments on, online since yesterday basically confirming yeah. the same thing. Okay, good. So I'm, I'm not spouting like the rubbish. Um... But yeah, I mean, that would have been, that would have summed it up for Newcastle, I suppose, because it, it was just from them a, a tie. It did look like a tired and lethargic performance, but th- they've got players back. I mean, they made substitutions, which they have not been able to do it from what I'm aware in the past few weeks. They brought on Joe Linton, they brought on Callum Wilson. So as much as it was a, it looked like a very tired Newcastle side, it wasn't like it was, you know, a, it was a given for us were going to win because they just had that loss against Luton, which I'm sure probably put fire into the bellies to get things right, to respond on Boxing Day at home in front of St James's Park. Um, and I think the last time they played there might have been the Champions League. It might be wrong there. Um, they might have played Fulham, I'm not sure. But th- it was a huge chance for them to respond, and th- I'm sure they were up for it, and they were to an extent in the first 20 minutes. But Forrest have got to take credit for how they turned the game around and how they exploited their weaknesses, which obviously meant... Burn was took off in the end and Livermento was put on that side and I suppose Forrest weren't focused on attacking at that point in the game but that did quite languor down a little bit so yeah, yeah all the credit has to go to Forrest. And and I think it would, it's also worth pointing out that although Newcastle were the better team in the first 25-30 minutes I never felt like they completely took control of the game um, and in a way that Forrest were kind of more or less in control of the game for, for a good chunk of it. So that, again, says it all. Now, I'm sure the counter argument to play devil's advocate is is Newcastle saying, well, a lot of the players, you know, those senior players you mentioned, your Wilsons, your Dan Burns, your Joe Linton's, um, they are returning from injury they're not fully fit they've not you know they've not got that much sharpness again to a certain extent that's not our problem what I would say was maybe a damning indictment is that Lewis Miley is incredibly talented but you don't you can't be relying in the Premier League on a 17 year old to try you know he he had a shot in the first half which kind of rolled rolled wide and was very close he he was he had some really good moments and he played the through ball for Isaac's penalty but you can't rely on a 17-year-old no. at the top level, can you? Um, anyway, again, all of that is not our problem. A couple of things related to what you talked about there. Number one, let's go back to team selection. So you were main- mentioning in part one about that kind of Cooper defensive ethos. One of the things that I would like to just put out there is that, yes, there is an element whereby because Cooper's coached the team in how to kind of play in a solid way, but what Cooper's never quite managed to do is get the team to stay solid when they're playing with two central midfielders. And Nuno's got that right. And what that, you know, is hairy in the first half, but he had Sangari and Danilo coming in as a new central midfield partnership. Interestingly, just like he did with the centre-halves at the weekend, he played them inverted. So Sangari was playing on the left-hand side and Danilo on the right-hand side. Later on, when we went to a five at the back, we saw... Niakate go to the left of the back three from the right of the back four and Marillo go to the right of the back three from the left of the back four. So maybe there's something there in terms of playing inverted players. But crucially, that setup in terms of having two central midfielders protecting a back four, Nuno managed to get that to work while having lots of attacking impetus with the front four in a way that Cooper never has managed yeah. to do. Any thoughts on that? 
yeah, it's always been the aim in my mind to get that because Gibbs White doesn't look the same on the wing and Hudson Adoy in the few games he's played, has never looked as lively as he has, both coming off the bench the other weekend and starting. I mean, we've probably not mentioned his name yet in this pod because Elangus took all the headlines, but Hudson Adoy was always an option. He was always an outlet. He, I think he helped defensively a bit more than Elanga did because playing that sort of three in midfield, you've, you've got, when we played Yates there or Mangala or Dominguez on the other side can fill in and support the sort of wingers. Whereas when you've got a two, they, they pretty much got to boss the midfield and you've got to rely on your wingers to come and help. And I suppose that wasn't really in abundance. So the full, I think the fullbacks have got to take credit, particularly Montiel. I mean, he got yeah. that flick on, flick on for the goal, but he came in and you wouldn't have known that he's played three or four games this season. He was fantastic. Showed a brilliant was attitude. Outstanding, wasn't yeah. he? Re- he really was. And, um, you know, along with Wooden Gibbs White, I would say that he was yeah. my, my top Forest player on the day. Um, I would also say that Sangare looked much more like the player yeah. that we hoped. It wasn't flawless, but again, what was really noticeable is that the more the game went on, the more that Sangare yeah. and Danilo were really able to take control, which when you're bearing in mind that they were up against... You know, Gibbs White did a brilliant job of keeping Gimaraes quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you consider the the Newcastle central midfield three, um, I thought that they really, really came into it. And Danilo played the first half looking like what he is, which is a young player with not a lot of experience. Yeah. He finished, um, let, you know, as the match went on, he looked like a seasoned professional. And Sangare looked as comfortable as I've seen him in a red shirt, I thought. Yeah, he did. And the, the two of them had to improve, particularly Danilo, because we saw at halftime he took Mangala off who, in, the, in the Bournemouth game, who didn't do a lot wrong, but he saw the change he needed to make it. I think the substitutions have been something that have really inspired me the last two games because, I mean, everyone loves Cooper, we know, and we'll probably keep talking about him for the next few years. But one thing I thought he always struggled to do was make substitutes at the right time and make them have the right impact on the game. That was something he never really got to do. Whereas in these first two games, Nuno's made some big calls, both from the start, half-time, putting Gibbs White in, in the sort of hole against Bournemouth and bringing Mangala off. And in this game, all five subs that came on made probably the impact he hoped they would onto the game. And that's something that he's got to take credit for. And also look, talking about the sort of Newcastle moaning about their players not being fit. We had our own issues because this squad has never really played together. And... You know, it took us a while, like you say, to to get familiar with each other. So Newcastle may complain about that, but we've got players in Sangare, like in our midfield, Sangare, Danilo, who haven't had a full 90 for Danilo maybe the whole season and Sangare since the start of November. So it's not like we were just, that they were just on their own and we were coming in with a few changes and a fully match fit squad. We had to adapt throughout the game. And I think we just bossed the game and Nuno's got to take credit for a lot for that. Yeah, I mean, in the first 20 minutes, if you're being super harsh, you could say that the Forest back six looked like a team of strangers, but they came yeah. into it and they knitted together. Um, what I would also just ask you about is with regard to that team selection, quite bold to make that number of changes. We've talked about, I suppose, the tactical aspects of that, um, in particular playing both wingers and Gibbs White as a number 10. Yeah. But what I would also ask you is... Do you think those changes were made with one eye on the fact that, um, you know, after the Man United match, then AFCON's coming up and we're going to lose a number of players. Yeah. So this was a chance to rest Mangala and Yates and, you know, a few of the others, uh, Nico Williams, Harry Toffolo, players who've, you know, come into the team in the last few matches, but we're going to need them when the AFCON yeah. players go away. Yeah, that's that's right. And I think he's not scared to make these changes as well. And he said after the game, um, 
about, I didn't catch the whole interview, but I think he said something about that the squad is too big and the players know that. But in a few weeks, we're going to lose seven of them. So he's got to be prepared for that. And he's, as much as he's got to give these guys a run of games when they come back, his priority, I suppose, is going to be the guys that are going to be with him at this crucial part of the season. Because January, February, March last year was when we went from being reasonably comfortable in about 16th place back into the relegation zone. We don't want that to happen again. So that time when the lads are away, whether they all go, whether we only lose two or three, but I wouldn't be surprised if it would be the former. These, The whole squad is going to be so important. So I think part of it is him trying to figure out who he's going to play. Um, Toffer, I think, will come back into it because Gibbs White has been fantastic at set pieces over the last few weeks. But apart from him, Toffer is probably your next best bet. So I think he's always going to be in and around the squads and who would have thought that at the start of the season. So kudos to him. Um, and yeah, the whole squad's going to be important going forward. He's, he's trying to figure out who he can trust, who plays the style the best. Um, but for the next few weeks, well, for Man United and then the cup game, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a similar amount of changes because, you know, it's teething problems. It's at the start of a reign. Can he find that winning formula? He's done it this time. And Man United will probably be a quite a similar game, I suppose, especially at the city grounds. Forest will be counter-attacking like they love to do at home. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't make as many changes. But at the same time, if he does, then you can't fault it. Uh, just a, a footnote on team selection. So Sangare did get a yellow card and he will be suspended for the Man United match. So um, it, he's he's played his last match for a little while with AFCON coming up. Um, just a, um, a a quick word about Matt Turner. I, you mean you called him the penguin earlier and he still was a little bit flappy um, for some of the match. But he made a save in the second half and where he suddenly looked a lot more assured. And I think it's very easy you know, keepers should be commanding and they need to take charge. And and neither Turner nor Odysseus have really looked like they're going to do that. But I think with the extra solidity in the six in front of him, Turner, I think, looked a bit happier. He also seemed to be a couple of times a bit more decisive in with his kicking as well. Yeah. And not being scared sometimes. Forrest were trying to play it out from the back, sometimes more than I would like, um, especially in the first half. First half. Yeah, um, and in the second half, it, it seemed a lot more settled, didn't it? Yeah, it did, because that first half, there was a period where literally three times we had three goal kicks. All of them we gave to Newcastle and they just put it behind for another goal kick. But, you know, we were thinking, come on, guys, let's learn from this and just boot it upfield. And and yeah, second half, was it was a much better performance from him. And this whole keeper debate is probably going to go on until Forrest buy a new keeper or one of them makes a few good saves in consecutive games and really solidifies him as the number one. I think Turner probably is the best bet at the minute purely because of Forrest on the counter-attack. He is he is a lot eager to play out quickly than Black Ademos was throughout that game. And if we're going to be playing this counter-attack in football, then we need a keeper that's prepared to do that. Um, he's not got the kicking ability maybe, but with his hands. Um, we mentioned Turner. I just want to give a, a shout out to Warren as well, because at the end, um, he came on um, and there was a ball across the penalty area. I forgot who it was, but it was heading to Wilson for a tap-in at the far post. And Joe Worrell, where many players would either leave it or get it into their own net, dived in there, got his head to it, knocked it behind for a corner. And that, it was like a goal because yeah. it would have been 3-2 three, three, with a couple of minutes to go. And with St. James's Park Rocket, well, with whoever was left, because there was many grey seats left around there at that stage. But who knows what could have happened then? So Warren deserves some. And there and as well. he read he read the flight of the ball really really yeah. well because uh, Turner was coming out. He wasn't going to get there. A lot of defenders would have got put off by that. But yeah. Warren actually followed the flight of the ball. Um, certainly, you know, there have been some really really 
I know you shouldn't pay attention to social media, and I hope that that the players don't. Yeah. But there's been some really, really barbed and and frankly, potentially libelous things said about Joe Worrell yeah. on social media recently. And there was a few boos as well when he when he came onto the a, a few, uh, not the whole crowd, I'll say, but there was a few. I don't know if you heard them on the TV, but a few sort of boos, and I think he's probably silenced them with that. Well, and you know what, as well, you, you've got to be you've got to be careful, you know, what you believe, haven't you? I think the danger yeah. is, uh, you know, the, the opinion of Dave from Bullwell, which he tweets as if as if it's got any authority. Um, so just just be a little bit careful about that, fellow Reds fans. Um, but yeah, so it's good to see him. But I, I do still firmly believe that having the Yates and Worrells of this world in the squad yeah. is really important for the kind of, you know, Nuno's building a team around Gibbs White. Yeah. That's very clear. The fact that he yeah. he put him in the number number ten role. He's the next in line to be captain when Yates and Worrell aren't playing. So those things are really important. But Yates and Worrell, they let's not forget. Cooper said that you know it's players like them who set the culture within the dressing room. Yeah. So let's just move on and just very very quickly. Nuno said. It's hard work. It's tough. We have the talent. Um, he paid tribute to the fans. Um, and, you know, every time he looked up, the fans were really giving it some. And he said, but it's about now. We have to keep on going. We cannot stop on this game now. I think slowly we'll achieve our own identity in the way we want to play football. So I've got two questions for you, George. Number one, how do we stop this being a freak result where there's new manager bounce and a player going back to haunt his old club? How do we make sure that that's not just a one off? Uh, I think momentum is is the key. I think this United game probably rests on it. And if Forrest can continue this performance, they can carry on having the defensive solidity with maybe keeping the same team and getting a bit more familiarity, but also keeping the same system with Wood up front, with Gibbs White in the hole, dropping deep, receiving the ball, turning and having options ahead of him. Um, and if that carries on and if we can get, even even if we get a nil-nil, a 1-1 nil, against United, if we pick something that, something that up, then we can have momentum to fire us forward Yes, we've got the break coming up. Um, but I mean, let's just hope that Nuno can do it because Cooper, we had a few start, we had a few dawns, didn't we, this season? We had the Chelsea win that didn't equate to anything. We had the Villa win that that should be a turning point. Beating Aston Villa third in the league at home should be a turning point, but it wasn't. And you know, I don't know what the reasons for that was really. But this Newcastle result has a chance to do that. We've scored five goals in two games. Uh, Chris has been involved in all of them. So at the city ground, if the city ground is rocking, which I'm, I'm hoping they will be um, on Saturday, and if the players can be up for it, we know that they can get a, a result against any team in the league. United have absolutely pasted us for all four games last season. If, if they turn up with the same attitude that they did at St. James's Park, um, the same belief, and the fans can rock them home, then that's the starting point. OK, yeah. OK, let's let's hope that's what happens. And then uh, lastly, and very, very briefly, if you will, um, the idea about establishing an identity and also sorting out the squad. How doable is that for any head coach at a team like Forest with the ownership that we have? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's very difficult, isn't it? And Cooper came in with his his defensive strategy and slowly tried to change it. That didn't work. I think Nuno's got a good base to go off because like we said about Cooper's defensive style, that's sort of a thing that's always part of his teams. And then he builds the attack from there. We've sort of almost got that defensive platform. And I think he can almost come straight away and start looking at how we can look more expansive. Um, because it, when we need to, we can be a lot more defensive and we can sort of sit on a lead, which is what we often did under Cooper. Now, the onus really is on keeping the attacking threat that we have, getting more, you know, getting an anger and Hudson-Odoi into some 
challenging goal scoring, challenging areas. A one year return, and if he does, if he doesn't get to Afghan and if he comes back to play for us, will be a key driving force in that. And Forest have always been a counter attacking team. I know you said briefly, I, I will be brief. Forest have always been a counter attacking team. Uh, from whenever I've watched them, obviously I don't go back to the Clough days. I've had a season ticket for about ten or eleven years, and I think that's a style that I love seeing because we, we can threaten most teams in the Premier League because a lot of teams like to play build up um, possession. Whereas if we're looking threatening on the break, it's you know it's it's unique and we can beat many teams playing like that. So yeah, yeah, and what I would say as somebody who is uh, twice your age is that um, yeah, going back to the Clough days, I think sometimes. The, the phrase low block is a relatively recent addition to football yeah. lexicon, but actually I've got no problem with playing a low block with fast, pacey, counter-attacking play, either through the middle or up the wings. I think it's quite exciting to watch. So um, so for all of the kind of the criticism of, oh, Steve Cooper plays a low block, oh, Nuno's going to play a low block with, you know, as long as you get those kind of attacking moments, and we saw those yeah. used to great effect in the game against Newcastle. So that's where we'll leave it for today. Thank you very much to George, and thank you to Jack for from the Tune Under pod for joining us. Um, and of course, thank you to you, listener. Thank you to the 1865 podcast for production duties. And we will be back a couple of times later this week. We're going to have your Friday Five coming up on, well, Friday. Uh, the fact is the gap between Christmas and New Year makes no difference. We're still going to be back with the top five news stories from the city grounds. And that will be in your podcast feeds on Friday. We will be back with a match report at the weekend after the Man United home game, when hopefully we can prove this wasn't a flash in the pan. Um, if you like what you hear, then your Christmas present to us can be to share it. Tell other people, tell your friends, share it on social media, leave us a review, especially if you're using a fruit-based device, because that helps other people to find our content. And in the meantime, once again, Merry Christmas. We'll be back later this week. Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.